Welcome back to the You Love and You Learn podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I'm recording this in January and I'm going to be speaking about a blog post that I wrote in mid-December, which is actually talking about six years in my relationship with Nate and sharing some of my reflections from those six years. I have some general reflections as well as six specific reflections throughout the six years that I think you may find helpful. So I'm going to partially be reading from the actual blog post, but I'm going to also add some other thoughts. And I have a ton of blog posts actually written, and I know that not all of them have been read, and I know that some people prefer listening to things in their car ride or as they're going on a walk instead of reading it on a blog. So there are going to be likely some episodes here in the podcast that are about topics I've maybe dipped on before in my blog, and I plan to expand on them here in the podcast. So let's dive right in. Mid-December, December 16th to be exact, marked six years since Nate and I first met. And that's the date that I just count as our anniversary because I feel like right away we just started talking and really getting to know one another and we don't have a specific anniversary where we became official it feels to me more like right away we were I would say in somewhat of a committed situation ship to start off so that's why I count it as our sixth year mid-December and you know honestly as I sat down to write the blog post about six years together, I was really feeling grateful that we had even crossed the six-year mark because during my most anxious days in my relationship, I didn't think the six-year mark would come at all. Instead, I thought that I'd either continue to feel debilitating anxiety forever by staying in the relationship, which obviously didn't sound ideal, Or I thought that I'd no longer be in the relationship because the anxiety may have become too much for me to handle. So I felt really grateful as I was sitting and writing the blog post that neither of those things happened. And instead, as I was reflecting on the six-year anniversary, I felt content. And I've really been loving the word content lately. I actually created a vision board for 2023 and my word of the year was content. And the word, at least to me, the meaning of it feels really beautiful. And it's being in a state of peaceful happiness. I'll say that one more time. Being content means being in a state of peaceful happiness. And I think that many people assume that if you're content in something, whether it's a relationship or your job or where you're living, that means you're somehow settling for less than you could have or you're not filling your potential in some way. But to me, peaceful happiness is ultimately the name of the game. You know, if you're not going to have some level of peaceful happiness in what you're doing, then to me, it feels like there's room for growth there because I think a lot of people would agree that peace and happiness are things in life that they would like a little bit more of. So now I crave feeling content in my relationship, not these majorly exciting flashy moments needing to happen 24-7, but the more peaceful moments. And To be clear, I do not walk around in a state of peaceful happiness 24-7 in my life or my relationship. 
But I've really come to terms over these last six years and most specifically in the last three years as I really dove into understanding relationships more that when I am not walking around feeling peaceful happiness, that isn't anyone else's responsibility, especially not Nate. So if I feel irritated, it's not Nate's responsibility that I'm feeling irritated. It's not social media's responsibility for triggering me. It's not the long grocery store line's fault for triggering me or making me feel irritated. My to-do list is not responsible for me feeling irritated or overwhelmed. And even the global news that we hear day to day, it's not the global news' responsibility to affect how I'm feeling. It's my job and responsibility to come up with tools and ways to manage my own feelings, whether that's in my relationship or in therapy or my own tools to be able to soothe and manage these symptoms. Now, please don't mistake me saying that we should not be able to lean on other people like our partners, therapists, you know, coaches, family, friends. Of course, we really do want to lean on a support system, but ultimately, no one else can take away our feelings or affect our feelings fully without us buying into that first. So that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, I would say, especially in the last few years, that even if something Nate does makes me feel irritated, that's really my own irritation to start exploring. Why does that thing irritate me? What are the beliefs or feelings around that experience or event that are causing me to feel this way? So it's really freeing when that mindset clicks and it becomes a practice, realizing that no one or nothing is responsible for creating our sense of peaceful happiness. So we get to take that on as something that we want to be the leader of, right? We're the main character of our life. And so even though other people can be contributors, we are the ones that are responsible. So I think that that is a really important place for me to start. That's not one of the six reflections I had in the six years, but it was a really important part of my reflections when I sat down to write this blog post. There is, I think, this you know idea that other people make us happy, and that was one of the things that caused me anxiety when I was experiencing peak relationship anxiety. Like, Nate should be making me happy. Nate should be making me feel super in love. Nate should be making me feel XYZ. But ultimately, I'm the one that gets to make myself feel those things. So how do we ultimately take that responsibility and ownership for choosing at any time to shift into the feelings that we desire more of? For me, I was specifically focusing on being more content, more peacefully happy. So what are those ways that I can do that? And then here are also some ways for you to start doing that if you want to shift into feeling more content in your life or your relationship or your career, whatever it is. So one of the first ways we can do this is by checking in on the beliefs or expectations that are causing you to feel unhappy or unpeaceful. I'm not sure that's even a word, (laughs) but... Sticking with the theme of content here, which is peaceful happiness, can you check in on the beliefs or expectations that are causing you to 
not be happy or peaceful. So an example from my own personal life, if Nate does something to make me feel irritated or that leads me to feeling irritated, he doesn't actually make me, but I react feeling irritated, I can ask the question, why am I irritated with Nate right now? And what expectation or belief is causing this? And an example would be, oh, well, I'm expecting him to do exactly what I want to do in this moment and he's not. And so I'm irritated that things aren't going my way. And that may sound a little bit like petty, but I think it's something we can all relate to when we're trying to have a conversation or we're trying to influence a plan for the weekend and maybe our partner has a completely different idea of what they want to do. So we can reflect on that irritation and say, hmm, is that fair that my expectation is more important than his in that moment? And we can hopefully acknowledge, no, maybe it's not fair that he has his own ideas of how he wants to spend his evening or weekend, and we can talk about it and acknowledge it and, if needed, come up with a solution. The next way that we can be a little bit more influential in our feelings or becoming more content or you know whatever we want and desire is by using tools to bring ourselves back into the present moment and find acceptance for whatever's going on. So this is a big one. This is something that I've really had to practice because it doesn't come naturally to me. I find that if things are taking me out of feeling peaceful or happiness, then it's easy to get sucked into that. But if I want to find more peace or more happiness, I want to feel more content, or if you do, then there's going to need to be some tools that you have in your tool belt. And for me, some of those examples are things like breathing, meditation, movement, or journaling. Sometimes even putting on music and just belting it out. Sometimes a good cry is what I need. Sometimes I feel like this is very cliche, but if you take out a pillow and like scream into it or like punch a pillow, that can actually be really, really (laughs) amazing for releasing energy that's stored up. And so if there's something that is taking you out of the present moment and you're worrying about either the future or the past, it's probably going to be hard to find that peaceful happiness. So having tools to bring yourself back in the present moment is a big one. Another thing that has helped me take more responsibility for feeling content in my life and in my relationship is having compassion for myself and my feelings. And I highly recommend that if self-compassion is not already a practice of yours, that you at least open up to the possibility of it becoming something that is more built in. An example of self-compassion would be me saying, it's okay to feel anxious. Anxiety is a protective mechanism. This means that I'm probably scared right now and being scared is okay. So often when we push our anxiety away or we say this shouldn't be here right now, I don't like this, this is bad, this is wrong, I shouldn't feel anxious, we are kind of ignoring a big piece of anxiety which is that it's actually a fear response. There's something we're scared of and you know, if we don't acknowledge that and we don't almost give ourselves a little hug or just mentally say, this is okay, it's okay to feel scared, it's a normal human response to feel scared, then we're going to berate ourselves or make ourselves feel like we're doing something wrong. So in order to feel more content in my life and relationship, I've had to lean on compassion. And 
to be clear, this is something I am absolutely still working on. I am still finding more ways to bring compassion into my life, but I know that I've come leaps and bounds. Another thing that has helped me be more content in my life and relationship and hopefully can help you is by shifting priorities to make space for my mental and physical well-being. So I feel like ultimately there have been many times where my to-do list completely outweighed my physical or mental well-being. So I have to get all these things done. I have to check these things off. I have all these deadlines to hit. And a lot of times for me, a lot of those deadlines are just self-imposed deadlines. Like I gave myself this list to do and I told myself it had to be done to feel good about that day or that week. But am I sacrificing my physical or mental well-being to get all those things done? So in order to feel more content, I've had to accept that sometimes the to-do list is not going to get done. And that can even be the to-do list of things like I want me and my partner to, you know, do all these things to grow in the relationship. Um, there's sometimes these to-dos that we put on ourselves or on our relationship and we think that those are the things that will make us feel content, but really what could actually make us feel more content in that moment is taking some space for your mental and physical health. So if the, do, if the to-do list, excuse me, feels unmanageable, it probably is. So how can we focus on the most important things? And then last but not least, this kind of ties into what I was just saying. One other way that I have aimed to help myself feel more content and more peacefully happy in my life and relationship has been by setting boundaries. And I feel like there are so many more ways that I could have talked about, but these were the ones that stood out to me most. By setting boundaries. So what does that mean for me? For me, some examples were logging off social media when I'm feeling overwhelmed and I took two weeks at the end of the year to log off of both my personal and professional social media pages and it felt really, really nice to do so, especially during the holiday season when everyone's kind of putting their best face forward on what they're doing with their family, friends, or partners during that time. Sometimes I also have been giving myself hard boundaries of I will not check in on any global news proactively because ultimately there's so much happening at any given time and it can really feel overwhelming, especially to an anxious or sensitive person. So I think that these types of boundaries that we set for ourselves can help us feel a little bit more content because we are not comparing or we're not hearing an onslaught of things that are going wrong in the world for us to then sit and worry about. So I think that these things are all big factors in what's helped me be more content and shifting my beliefs around love and relationship. You know, that has been a huge factor in me being more content had I not taken the full responsibility for my own feelings like I talked about. I definitely would have not made it to my six-year mark with Nate. And had I not flipped the script and asked how I was contributing to my own anxiety, I definitely would not be here. So I'm proud and grateful that I was able to find more peaceful happiness in my relationship with Nate instead of seeking it out in someone else. I was proud of myself that I was able to use those tools or use the practices that I just shared a little bit more about 
in order to move forward and hit that six-year mark. Now for the part that I thought was fun when I was reflecting on the six years with Nate. So I had six reflections, if you will. Um, I, I know I keep repeating the word reflection, but that was what came up for me uh, as a, a good word to kind of recap what had happened over the last six years and what I learned along the way. So I'm going to share six reflections and lessons, if you will, from the last six years with Nate. First, I'll read through all of them just so you know what to expect. And then I will elaborate on each one in a little bit more detail. So the first was relationships grow, evolve, and change. Change is scary, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Accepting change, evolution, and growth in a relationship brings more peace and happiness. Number two, committing to the relationship decreased my anxiety, not increased it like I feared. Number three, there are endless ways you can be in a successful relationship. There is no one right way. Looking for the one right way will cause a lot of frustration. Creating your own way has the potential to lead to more confidence in your relationship. Number four, Picking your battles not only benefits the relationship, but it benefits your peace of mind. Number five, love gets to be so much deeper than the relationship goals moments we see on social media. And last but not least, number six, it's okay not to have all the answers right now. It's okay not to know how everything will turn out. Trust the process and trust yourself to be okay no matter what. All right, let's go into these one by one. So the first one is regarding relationships growing, evolving, and changing. And I said relationships grow, evolve, and change. That change is scary, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Accepting change, evolution, and growth in a relationship brings more peace and happiness. So much has changed for Nate and I in the last six years. I feel like I can't even count the ways, but the top things that stood out to me as I was writing this was our jobs, our living situations, a global pandemic happening, communication styles, and our intimacy. Our levels of comfort changed, our vacation lists have changed, our relationships to each other's families have changed, our beliefs, our goals, and our dreams have changed, and even our feelings towards one another have changed. And this was an important aha moment for me because I used to think that my feelings towards Nate had to stay the exact same from day one to day 100 to day 1000 and beyond. What I didn't realize was that my feelings changing isn't necessarily a bad thing and it can actually be a great thing. At least for me, I can only speak from my experience here, but I feel a deeper sense of commitment and love towards Nate now than I did six years ago. It wasn't just the exciting newness that made me love him. It's all of the other ways that we have grown together as a couple. And once I decided that Nate was my person and I wanted us to build a beautiful life, that really affected how I felt towards him. The honeymoon phase may be over, and I feel like sometimes that word can be triggering for people. Some people don't even know if they did have a honeymoon phase or not. But I can assure you that while our honeymoon phase is over, each year we have become stronger and stronger and through each challenge we grow. 
and it hasn't been linear. There's been ups and downs along the way. Uh, Relationship anxiety, for example, as you can imagine, was a major hurdle to overcome, and it definitely changed me. Nate has also evolved as a partner and a person too throughout these six years. So please know that change can be scary. Uh, It's definitely something that many humans are afraid of just because newness goes against what we're comfortable with. It's not familiar. So even if you're changing for the better, the change can still feel scary because it's not familiar. So it doesn't mean that change is wrong just because it's scary. The more you can embrace change in your relationship, in your life, in your career, in your friendships, in your family, whatever it is, the more peace and happiness you will find. That is my belief. All right, number two, committing to the relationship decreased my anxiety, not increased it like I had feared. So this is something I've been talking about lately, and I feel like it's very counterintuitive, but I hope that when I explain it, it feels clear. I used to think that going all in on my relationship was scary because I would tell myself things like, well, what if it doesn't work out? Or how do I know if I love him enough? And what if I make the wrong decision in partner? This all led to me being a really good one foot in and one foot out partner. I was not all in on the relationship, and this was more so figuratively than literally. So it's not that I was actually making plans to leave the relationship, but in my head, I would kind of ask myself, well, you know, what would happen if we broke up? I was kind of toying with that idea out of fear of actually moving forward. I would entertain thoughts like, what if I find someone better in the future? What would I do then? I would hyper-focus on any flaws that Nate had, and I thought that this must mean that he wasn't perfect enough, so that's why we shouldn't be together. I would imagine what things would be like if I was single, and please know that all of these things were stemming from my anxiety and my fear. These things didn't necessarily make me happy to think about, but I did think about them. These all kept me from using my own power and my own free will and my own sovereignty as a human to decide to be with Nate. Because after all, no one else could make that decision for me, even though I wish someone else could have at the time. I wanted relationship experts or friends or anyone really in my life to make me feel good about choosing Nate. But ultimately, it was always, always, always going to be up to me. And that's the biggest aha moment I feel like I've had is that no one else can make this decision for you. And so even when you reach out to someone and you get their advice, you can take that information on, but ultimately you are the one that's responsible for deciding to move forward. Once I made the decision that Nate was my person and I wanted to be with him, even though I didn't guarantee the result and even though... I still had a little bit of fear about it, that's when things changed. And one thing that has really stuck with me over the years, I've heard this a handful of times, is that the word decision stems from the Latin root decidere. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And decidere combines two words, off and cut. So day is off and cadere, which I guess is part of how it stems from, I know I'm butchering this a bit, (laughs) but the two words that it combines to 
lead to the Latin word decidir, which is ultimately where decision stems from, is cut and off. So in a sense, when you are deciding, you cut off other options. And bear with me here because this is really important for someone who is experiencing anxiety in their relationship. To the anxious mind, cutting off other options may feel overwhelming because we like to have a backup plan and a backup, backup, backup plan, right? You know, we like to know all the potential options. However, once I decided Nate was my person, I felt a sense of relief, not a sense of panic. And I can't speak for everybody. Of course, you'll have to try this for yourself. But when I really decided... I felt a sense of relief, not decided one thing and then the next day changed my mind and then flip-flopped and all of that. When I decided, period, end of story, that this is who I want to be with, this is what I want to do, this is who I want to grow with and love and evolve with, things changed. Instead of thinking about finding someone better, I started thinking about the ways Nate and I have grown and can continue to grow together. Instead of thinking about if things didn't work out, I started taking small and steady and consistent actions that would lead to a better chance of things working out. And instead of worrying about making the wrong decision, I started looking for evidence that I was making the right decision and have made the right decision. So these are subtle but powerful shifts. If you have kinda sorta decided that you want your relationship to work, then you'll kinda sorta make it happen. That's very different from if you decide, decide that you want your relationship to work, that's a different energy. You're going to pull out all of the stops to make it happen. One thing I will say to wrap up this portion is that decisions can be changed if new information is received. So this is where it gets into some nuance and context, right? In my webinar, Is It Anxiety or Incompatibility? I talk about how There are things that you might not know now are incompatible, but maybe in five years something happens and you realize that the relationship is no longer compatible and you've tried everything and you and your partner are not able to move forward without one of you majorly sacrificing your own values or whatever. So if there's new information presented and you realize that the relationship is incompatible or that it no longer feels like something that you can move forward with and you would be going against your values or whatever it is, that is something that you can change your decision on. However, I think that if you do experience relationship anxiety in any way, you know that that's not the type of decision I'm talking about here. The type of decision I'm talking about here is cutting out the back and forth of today I want to be here but tomorrow I don't want to be here because of the little things that come up or one day I feel good and so I want to be here. The next day I feel anxious so I don't want to be here. That type of back and forth can be avoided when you do make the decision. So I hope that makes sense. If you have questions about that, um, just send me a DM and I will consider writing or in a new blog post or a new podcast episode, creating more content around that distinction. Okay, number three, there are endless ways you can be in a successful relationship. There is no one right way. Looking for the one right way will cause a lot of frustration. Creating your own way has the potential to lead to more confidence in your relationship. So for me, 
this ultimately means that you have to pave your own path because you are a unique person in a unique relationship. If we Google what does it mean to be in a healthy relationship, you will get so many answers, right? There is no shortage of information floating around online or on social media. And trying to follow all of the answers will likely lead to more confusion and anxiety because some of the answers differ. And we might start thinking, am I doing this right? Or this person says this, but that person says this. Which one's right? How do I know? And the secret is that there is no one right way. I used to think there was. And I used to think the one right way was basically a copy paste of what I saw in rom-coms. So it caused me to feel shame and guilt that my relationship was not measuring up to this perfect ideal and it caused me a lot of anxiety. Through a lot of unlearning, I have realized now that what makes me the happiest is what Nate and I decide together, what we come up with uniquely and what we talk about or discuss alone and with each other, not when we are completely being influenced by other people. It's not what someone else says is best, it's what we say is best. Now, I'm going to give a personal example here, and this does make me a little bit uncomfortable to share, but I'm working on just being as transparent as possible, and this is around sex and physical intimacy. So, hi mom and dad, feel free to listen if you want, or feel free to skip this part. Um, There is really no shortage of information out there around sex and intimacy, You should be having sex this many times a week. If your sex life isn't a priority, your relationship will suffer. Or sexual compatibility is very important, etc. We see so many movies and so much media that portray sex in one way. And in my own experience, sex can be different. You know, it's not always exactly like the scene in the notebook, right? So... Putting pressure on it to be super spicy or amazing has at times led me to feel more stressed or anxious or not present in the experience than I would like. Neither Nate or I have the sex drive to be intimate multiple times a week at this stage in our life. And for both of us, that's actually okay. And we are content with that. We've both agreed that we want to want to do it more than we actually want to do it more. So what does that mean? We feel like we should do it more because we think that that's the right thing to do in order to have a healthy relationship. But neither of us internally are necessarily bringing it forward out of more personal desire. There are moments, of course, where there is that personal desire there, and that's when we take action. But we don't always feel the desire to force, I guess that's a weird word to use, to try to push to make it happen more than we actually desire to. It's the external pressure leading us to feel like the frequency is not enough when in fact both of us are happy and both of us prefer quality over quantity. So if we only listened to those external narratives, it may lead to us feeling like our sex life is not good enough. And trust me, there have been moments of that and it still can come up sometimes. So it's something that's an ongoing conversation with us. I've done the whole feeling guilty and the shame and the we should be better more and it doesn't help. If anything, it makes me feel worse and makes me put more pressure on the sexual experience which in turn makes it less enjoyable. So 
releasing the pressure has led to more happiness in our relationship and in our sexual relationship. So both Nate and I agree that there is room for improvement in some senses, and it's not off the table that this will be an area that we focus on more. However, right now we are content, peacefully happy, and that's what's important. So this is one example of the countless ways Nate and I have learned to tune into what we want and not what we think we should want. And I will definitely elaborate more in the future on kind of sex anxiety and this, you know, this whole conversation I feel like is more important than just dropping it into a few minutes of a podcast. So it's a common question that I'm asked about. It's not necessarily a number one area of expertise for me. So as I learn more, I'll absolutely continue to talk about it. But I did feel like it was important to mention that here. So this leads me to just remind you that you can create your own rules and boundaries and experiences in your relationship. It's way more fun than trying to follow other people's rules. Number four, picking your battles not only benefits the relationship, but it benefits your peace of mind. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean here. So would I like Nate's towels to always hang on the towel rack instead of hung over the door sometimes? Yes, that would be nice. Would I enjoy more spontaneous surprises? Sure. And I'll admit I could also be better about creating more spontaneous surprises too. Would I appreciate more active listening and less, well, here's what I recommend or here's my proposed solution when I'm trying to share my frustrations or just if I'm frustrated with something at work? getting a response of here's how you could fix it isn't always what I'm craving. So maybe, yes, I could appreciate more of that. Do these things mean my relationship sucks? No, absolutely not. I used to make such a big deal about everything in my relationship. So the wet towels, needing more surprises, you didn't listen fully to me, like every single thing that could have been different, I made into something to talk about. And all it did was take away from my own peace of mind and cause me to think that my relationship wasn't up to par. Now, I'm not saying that you should completely ignore things, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to share with your partner if some things bother you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there are oftentimes more important battles, and for me, if I let the little things go, I can make space for those bigger things that I do feel are more important. Ultimately, the towels hanging on the door, it doesn't look great, but it doesn't really affect me. If I have to close the door for a meeting, I literally take the towel and put it on the bed, and then Nate just moves it later. It's, it's really not that big of a deal, but I used to make it into a big deal, and I had a whole story around he doesn't respect our space, and you know he's never going to put the towels away. What does that mean? And It doesn't have to be that big story. It can just be, okay, here's the towel. I'm putting it on the bed now. We're done with that. So only you can know what this means for you and picking those battles, what that actually means for you. However, it doesn't mean completely ignore things that irritate you. But if there's a lot of things, like a laundry list of 100 things that you find irritating, maybe you can determine which one of those things actually mean more to you and which one of them maybe you can work on changing the story around. Next, number five. Love gets to be so much deeper than the relationship goals moments we see on social media. So mid-December, beginning of December actually, about a month ago, 
there was something that came up for me and it was a very important lesson. So I took my first ambulance ride in December and it was a pretty scary incident. I experienced something called a vasovagal syncope, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but ultimately it was a sudden drop in heart rate and blood pressure, which led to me fainting. And not only did I faint, but Nate came out and thought that I was having a seizure because he saw me shaking. And so I came to find out that these types of fainting incidences can happen in response to a stressful trigger like strain or stress, or it can happen to some people when they get their blood taken or they see blood. So I'm so grateful Nate was home. Thank goodness he was home. And he really, really helped and supported me over the next 48 to 72 hours when I wanted to recover and rest. And it was honestly so important to me that he was there in that moment because it was a little bit scary and I think that unfortunately Nate was pretty shaken up by it because he saw me in that state so in those scary moments I felt so grateful for Nate and I always feel grateful for him however in that moment particularly it made me realize just how grateful I am and things got put into perspective The important takeaway I had from this experience was that a big part of relationships are about loving and supporting people in sickness and in health. And now I know that some wedding vows say this, and I don't personally love all wedding vows um, because I feel like some of them are a little bit black and white or they can be a little bit triggering. However, this piece in sickness and in health feels true. Supporting someone in sickness and in health means the ups and the downs, not just the shiny Instagram moments or when things are going perfectly, but the times when you're going to the hospital and you're not sure what's happening. Relationships get to be much deeper than those Instagram moments, and I feel like, unfortunately, we can get so worried that our relationship isn't picture perfect And that can take up so much of our focus and that blocks the beauty that already exists in our relationship. I think that is one of the most common threads I see among my clients and when I was in the thick of my anxiety was that instead of appreciating the beauty that was there, I was looking at what was missing or what needed to be better and that mindset is a slippery slope. When life throws you curveballs, the anxious triggers honestly feel pretty irrelevant in comparison and I think that it was really clear to me when I was laying in that hospital bed I was hoping that my CT scans and my blood work came back fine and thankfully they did Um, but the other things just felt not as important and it doesn't mean they aren't important at all but in comparison to your health and well-being no they're not so things like oh my gosh, am I feeling 100% attracted to Nate today? Or, you know, are the towels hung up in the proper way? It's like things like that just are not relevant compared to your blood work and your CT scan coming back. What is important, or at least for me, that I came out of this understanding was it's important that the person is there checking on you, holding your hand, and telling you that it's all going to be okay. And that was Nate through and through. So, I hope that my story can inspire you to think a little bit differently in some ways about the anxious moments and think about the big picture. And six, 
it's okay not to have all the answers right now. It's okay not to know how everything will turn out. Trust the process and trust yourself to be okay no matter what. Three years ago, if you would have told me that I live in Sweden with Nate and that I was a relationship anxiety coach, I would have not believed you. I could not have predicted where I'm at right now for one second. And yet I'm so glad that things didn't go according to plan, whatever that means. In three years from now, I cannot guarantee what things will look like. And honestly, I've stopped trying to guess. I think it causes me so much anxiety when I try to imagine exactly how the future will look. And for some people, it really helps to have that vision. But for me, it can be overwhelming because then I feel like I have to meet the vision exactly. And that's so not true. Some people feel comfortable with a one, three or five year plan. But for me, it doesn't excite me as much anymore. I prefer to take things as they come now, and that's something I've actively been working on. Because I can't guarantee that me and Nate will be together forever. And I can't envision where we will live when we move back from Sweden yet. I can't predict if and when we will have kids, even though that's something that we want now and we've determined that that's something we want. Fertility is not guaranteed. So instead of those unanswerable questions causing me to feel scared, I now lean into them. I trust that things are going to get sorted out some way, somehow. I trust in my ability to pick myself up if I get knocked down. I trust in me and Nate and our ability to figure things out. I trust that if I receive new information about our relationship, about anything really, that I can change my mind. And I trust in life. I trust that life will work out and sort itself out. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but I trust in the process. Now, this is a really big shift from three years ago, Sarah, and an even bigger shift from six years ago, Sarah, when me and Nate first started dating. I feel like I've really come to terms with the fact that I don't have full control, even though that's still hard for me sometimes. But when you release that control and surrender a bit, life tends to work in mysterious ways and I trust it. So that wraps up the six key takeaways. I'd love to hear which one resonated most with you. Send me a DM on Instagram at you love and you learn. And if you're enjoying these episodes, it would mean the world to me if you rated and reviewed it or sent it to other people that you know. I really hope to get the word out about this podcast since it is still newer and give it in the hands of people that will really be enjoying this type of content or need to hear some of these messages. I wish that I had heard some of these messages six years ago, but here they are now, and I hope that they've been helpful for you. So thank you so much for being here, and I will see you in the next episode.